God of the universe. God is the God of everybody. And that is what John was referring to when he said that the one that does not love does not know God. But the confidence that you must have in the word of God from within, that deep assurance, heaven is a state of happiness which comes as a result of living a useful life. Heavenly pursuit is usefulness. The heavenly pursuit is love. The wisdom of God, it is universal. It is universal because it does not belong to a certain sect. Hallelujah. I want to share something with us. Say in continuation from where we left off last week. Amen. So the Lord promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob a land. The Bible calls it a land that flows with milk and honey. And we know that that land is the land of Canaan. So that was the promise that was given, that they shall inherit it together with their descendants. That was the land that was promised. Now we know that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob speak of Jesus. And the process that involves his becoming man and also the glorification of his human so that his human also became divine. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is Jesus glorified. Amen. And this land that is called Canaan was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So when the Lord sent Moses to the children of Israel in Egypt, he said that I've come to take you to the land that was promised unto your fathers. You have to understand that when the Bible says your fathers, it is not every father coming before them. So that you say, okay, after Abraham, there were other fathers. So the Lord promised all the fathers. There are three fathers. Hallelujah. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it is because they represent Jesus glorified. Amen. So when Moses went, the message was that it is time now to move to the land that was promised your fathers. And knowing that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob speak of Jesus glorified, then we can understand what the land of Canaan is. And that is the dwelling together of man with God. That union between man and God. That is the land of Canaan. Hallelujah. And in Jesus' glorification, this is the promise that when we come unto him, he will dwell together with us in the land of Canaan. So the land of Canaan was promised to Jesus. Hallelujah. So Jesus says that I will not from henceforth drink of this fruit of the vine with you until I drink it anew with you in the kingdom of my father. Hallelujah. And that is our union with the Lord, our being joined together with the Lord, our coming to the place where the Lord operates through us. 
and brings forth the good that he desires through us. And that is why the land of Canaan was called the land that flows with milk and honey. Hallelujah. So it is the place where God dwells with man. Amen. That is Canaan, the place where God dwells with man. And that is the promised land. Hallelujah. Now, when I say the place, I don't mean a location. It means the state that man enters into where that man and God are able to dwell together, where God is able to function through that man. Hallelujah. Where God is able to dwell in the man's vessel and move through that man. That is the promised land. Hallelujah. And that land was promised Jesus. And anyone that comes to Jesus, that land becomes a land that is promised him as well. It is the land or the place where you are at your fullest potential as a human being. And we know that as a human being, your fullest potential is when you dwell together with God, when God is able to dwell in all of your vessel and function through your vessel. Hallelujah. So that is the promised land, that state where you are at your best, you are at your highest potential in terms of manifestation. That is the promised land. That is the land of Canaan. Hallelujah. And as you are here, you have your land of Canaan because you realize that even though the land of Canaan was promised them as a big land, it was supposed to be divided amongst them. Hallelujah. So it wasn't like they just all inherited the land of Canaan, every portion together. The land of Canaan was divided amongst the tribes. Hallelujah. So every tribe had a portion that they inherited. And in that portion, the lands were divided amongst the members of that tribe. So your land of Canaan, even though it's the lost kingdom or the dwelling together of man with God, it is also according to your unique vessel. Because then the various tribes represent the uniqueness of the individuals that function together with God to form one body. There were different tribes. The various tribes represent the various vessels that must contain God. Amen. So that is why I'm saying that you have your land of Canaan. You have your place where God is able to dwell in you and function through you. And that is your promised land. You can call it your self-actualization, where you come to the place where you are all that the Lord made you to become. When the Lord is able to bring forth through you all the fruits that he has desired to bring forth. Amen. So you have a promised land. There is a version of you that is ahead of you. That is the promised land. Every one of us has that promised land. There is a state that is ahead of you that God is able to dwell with you and function through you. Hallelujah. It is this promised land that the Lord calls us onto. Individually, the Lord is calling you to that promised land. He's calling you to your Canaan. That is the spiritual journey. That is what the spiritual journey is about. We being called individually by the Lord to that state where he's able to work through us and produce his results through us. That is the Christian journey. So anybody that claims to be a Christian should be trying to go somewhere. 
Paul says that he's trying to attain. There's a price that is set before him that he's trying to attain. That is Christianity. That's how come we say that Christianity is an individual journey. It's a journey, your individual journey to what some will call enlightenment. That state of enlightenment is actually your promised land. So you can't claim to be a Christian and not be trying to go somewhere. Hallelujah. This is Christianity, that there is a version of yourself that God is able to function through and operate through fully according to how he called you to be. And God calls upon you to begin to migrate, to begin your pilgrimage from Egypt where the enemy holds you in bondage, where evil holds you in bondage. He calls you to migrate. Because we don't understand what a spiritual journey is, there is no target for us. We don't have a target. And because we don't have a target, we don't even see the agency and we are not inspired to move after the Lord in the way that he calls us. It's like he just calls us to leave Egypt. To some of us, that's how we understand the spiritual life, that the Lord is just calling us to leave Egypt. But that is not the message. The Lord is calling us to go into the promised land. Hallelujah. That's what he's doing. He's calling you to go into the promised land. The problem is that you are in Egypt, so you must first leave Egypt in order to go into the promised land. Hallelujah. And without the appreciation and the idea of your promised land, you will have no spiritual energy to migrate from Egypt. Without understanding that there is a place that God is calling you to be, there is a state where God is calling you to be and where you are, you are actually wasting away, turned away from the Lord and turned away from what it is that he made you to be. Without appreciating that, there is no incentive. All that you know, they say, let's leave Egypt. But there is no personal incentive to travel from Egypt. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's no personal incentive to travel from Egypt. And that is what my message is about today. That you come to the realization that you have a promised land to occupy. You have a land flowing with milk and honey that you have been called to. There is a state, there's a version of yourself that must be brought into being that allows for the Lord to operate through you. And that is what the Lord called you for. Every human being must be moving towards this promised land. Hallelujah. So Paul said that God made of one blood all people and he appointed their habitation unto them. And then he called them that they may feel after him, they may seek after him. Hallelujah. That seeking after is to find your place in the promised land where God dwells in you and you in him. You understand that? So you have a promised land. You, you have a promised land. There's a version of yourself that will allow God to dwell in you. And the Christian journey or the spiritual journey is a migration to that promised land. If you appreciate this, then your spiritual journey takes on a different form because you are going somewhere. Hallelujah. You are trying to become something. And that is the only assignment God gave you on this earth. To become that 
person through whom he will function according to your unique vessel. Every other thing is an accessory to this calling. The only calling we have is that we migrate from Egypt to the promised land where God dwells in us and we also in him. That's our only calling. Hallelujah. So there is a promised land for you. The Hebrew writer calls it the Sabbath rest. It is called a rest because then eventually the reproach of Egypt is rolled away. And man is free from the taints and the marks that Egypt had placed on him. And now God is able to dwell in him. It's called the land of rest, the Sabbath rest. And that is every person's responsibility. That is how God is dealing with every man, that we all move to the promised land, to your promised land. He said, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there ye may also be. That is the promised land. And every one of us has a promised land. You have to dream of that version of yourself, because that's what the Israelites did. They picked the promise because they were not there when God promised their fathers. But what happened is that the promise was passed on to them from generation to generation. So every generation dreamt of the land of promise that had been promised unto their fathers. Every generation dreamt of it. So even though they had not dwelt in the land of promise, they knew that this is their destiny. This is the land of their destiny. They had ideas because it had been described unto them, even though they had not dwelt in there. And that is what Peter meant when he said that, wherefore are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. These are the promises concerning the promised land that by this we might be partakers of the divine nature. Do you understand that? That is your promised land. That is your destiny, that you become a partaker of the divine nature. You. I want you to understand that it's about you. You, the individual sitting there. That is the promise. That is the calling. That you become a partaker of the divine nature. Being a partaker of the divine nature is the promised land. The Bible says that the kingdom of God is like a man that made a marriage for his son and then went to call people that they should come. That is the promised land. Because of Jesus' overcoming, the promised land is set. Now there is the invitation according to what will happen when you come into the promised land. So you are told that this is the promised land. There is a land for you. There is a place for you in God. There is a calling upon your life. You were made for something. You were made into a vessel. You are underperforming. You are underutilizing your vessel and even marring your vessel. You are destroying that vessel. There is a place for you in God where you are able to function in God according to what he made you to be. And that is the invitation. The invitation is that come to that supper. Come to that feast. That is the invitation. And that invitation is thrown to every one of us. That you, there is a feast in God waiting for you. When we say it's a feast, not, you just go and take meat and eat. There is a participation in God that is waiting for every one of us. According to our unique vessel. 
You have been called to participate. Not one person. Every one of us, according to our unique vessel, have been called to participate in God. I know you may look down yourself and think that me there. It's because you are in Egypt. It's because the marks of Egypt are upon you. And what Egypt does is that it makes you forget. You live there so long that you forget that there is a land that is promised you. You forget. You look down on yourself so much that when the land is spoken about, it is too far from you. And it is so beyond you that you think it's just a fairy tale. I always tell you that if God has allowed you to be born, then there is a reason. And that reason is fulfilled in the promised land. Because that is the land of destiny. Till we are in the promised land, our destiny has not begun. Hallelujah. I said every one of us has been called into a life of participation in the divine nature. According to your unique vessel, there is your place in the promised land. And it is important to understand it. Otherwise, there is no energy. There is no purpose in your relationship with the word of God. There is no purpose in your hearing of doctrine. Because you have not yet understood that all that we are trying to do is to migrate from Egypt into the promised land. That's all that we are trying to do. The place where God is manifestly declared in each of us. Where milk and honey flow from each of us. That is the place of our calling. The promise was not made to you. It was not made to you. It was made to your fathers. That is Jesus. Because of what he has accomplished. It is God that has made this promised land a possibility for you. So you can look at yourself and decide whether there is a promised land for you. Because the land was not promised to you. It was promised to the Lord as to the human. Please understand that. So there is no point where the promise is redrawn because it was not promised to you. Hallelujah. The Hebrew writer talks about how that by two immutable things in which God is not able to lie, we might have a strong consolation. I read that scripture before. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to do what? To lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. That is the spiritual life. There is a hope that we must attain unto. And you must feel that hope yourself. You must feel that hope for yourself. Not some people's idea and you are trying to also tag along. You also must see that you have a land in the promised land. You have a plot. Or you have a house in the promised land. You have an inheritance. You also must see that is a land of our pilgrimage. And every one of us has been called to this place. It is important. I've explained what it means to you. What the promised land means. That we come to the state or the version of ourselves where the Lord dwells in us.
Hallelujah. So the Lord sends Moses to them in Egypt and tells them that it is time. The land that was promised to your fathers, it is time for you to leave Egypt and to inherit it. Hallelujah. So that was the message. You see, and if you were there, maybe you will also misunderstand it as they misunderstood it, that to actually leave Egypt is to enter the promised land. That was their misunderstanding. Yes, and because of that, they did not start the journey well. So Moses goes to them and tells them, hey, let's leave. And then there's a struggle with Pharaoh. And then eventually Pharaoh says that you can go. Hallelujah. And that in itself is a baptism. Where Pharaoh now says you can go. Because there's a struggle at times. And this Pharaoh thing you know, is also You as an individual. It's not a different Pharaoh. It's you. That when God comes and is trying to convince you that Egypt is not your place. At times you have dwelt in Egypt for so long that you are comfortable with the life of Egypt. And you have accepted your faith. And you have assumed that we are here in this earth to live in Egypt. That's the assumption. To live in Egypt. To dwell in Egypt and die here. This is our destiny. This is our calling. And that is what can happen. You can live the natural life, the carnal life for so long that you don't know any life apart from that. They dwelt in Egypt for a long time. A long, 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 long time. Hallelujah. And you can get used to Egypt. Like we are used to the human life that we have around. And we have assumed that this is it. How everybody is. It's what we are supposed to be. Just go to school, get a job, have a family, and grow old and die. Hallelujah. So you can be so used to the life in Egypt that you have to be convinced. Hallelujah. You have to be convinced. So even though you think that the plagues of Egypt were shown Pharaoh, it is the Pharaoh in you. And the plagues are a revelation of the states of Egypt. Hallelujah. You think that there is water in Egypt, but that water is a polluted water. So their eyes open. Hallelujah. The beast that came into the land, it was for their eyes to open. The dying of the firstborn son of everybody in Egypt, including that of Pharaoh, it was to open their eyes. So the miracles Moses did actually are the things that God does to open our eyes to see that we are in faith. Where we have assumed is our land of destiny because we have dwelt there for so long, our eyes now begin to open and we see that this is not the place for us. It is like the prodigal son. The Bible said he came to himself. He became so bad that he was now dealing with swine, filthy lusts, and wanted to partake of the food that was given to the swine. And then he came to himself. That in itself is a blessing from God. That is what the Lord does for you. Your eyes now begin to open, and then you now get to understand that you must leave Egypt. So you begin to pack your things and you leave. And for some of us, we think that when we have decided that we are leaving Egypt, then we are in the promised land. But we are not in the promised land. Because when they left, Pharaoh also pursued. And they met the Red Sea. That was another baptism also, right? That they needed to pass through the Red Sea. 
Pharaoh also pursued. So all the time, when you have even decided to leave Egypt, Egypt comes back for you immediately with reasonings and strong words and argument to convince you to return. Hallelujah. And all this is taking place in us to convince us that there is no promised land for us. And to lay an imaginary barrier before us. To convince us with the falsehoods. The Bible says that the Lord, through Moses, opened the Red Sea. And then they entered. They passed on dry ground. That's what the Bible said. Now you think that after the Red Sea, they are done, right? No. Now they entered the wilderness. And experience after experience, experience after experience, experience after experience. And in many cases, when they face a difficulty, they remember Egypt and say they want to go back to Egypt. Why? Because it is the Lord that sees that Egypt is a bondage. The people themselves in Egypt don't see it as a land of bondage. It is the Lord that must convince them. So when the convincing is not done, it becomes easy. Like some of you, you take up God, you want to follow God, you want to apply the word of God, and then you face difficulties, challenges. And it is as though when you did not take up the word of God to apply it, your life actually seemed more stable and certain, and your future was more certain for you than now that you have taken the word of God and you are applying these pressures you feel upon your heart and this feeling of guilt and this feeling of condemnation and wondering if you will overcome and all that. If you are in Egypt, you don't have it. You understand that? If you are in evil and you have not received the word of God to come out of Egypt, it's a beautiful state to continue wallowing in your evil. And in that state, you actually think you are in heaven. It is God that sees that you are in filth. So when problems happen in the wilderness, they will now say that they want to get back. Because they feel that is the cool place. That's the best place to be. Hallelujah. They feel that's the best place to be. They remember all this trouble. In Egypt, we could eat and we're full. But they didn't know that the food they were eating in Egypt was destroying them. But now they left Egypt to look for another food and they can't find it. They left Egypt to look for another water and they can't find the water. When God showed them their water that it was blood, right, and polluted water, they understood and left, but now they can't find water. You see, some of you, you started giving up your wisdom, right? And then now you are looking for the Lord's wisdom, but you also can't find the Lord's wisdom the way you want to find it. So you are kind of in a limbo. Before you were very sure of your life, but now you are a very confused person. So you look at you being a very confused person and you look at when you were sure of your life, but in Egypt, you seem to think that the Egypt life is better. It's not. Hallelujah. Please understand that. You have strange ideologies and God convinced you to abandon those ideas. He's forming a new one, but it's also not forming. So you are not sure of many things. So if you have very poor perception of God, very wrong ideas about God. And God is taking all of them away. But you also don't have new ones yet. So in many things, you don't even know what to do because you don't know what to believe about God. So it's as if when you were in Egypt, your life was more stable 
that now that you have left Egypt, cross the Red Sea, and now you are in the wilderness. So they too, when many things happened, they wanted to turn back. Out to the point where they got to the edge of the promised land, where they needed to undergo the next baptism. So in the wilderness was also another baptism. The Bible says they were baptized in the cloud. Remember, a pillar of cloud by day, right? And a pillar of fire by night. Now they were supposed to undergo another baptism, which is through the Jordan. Then they entered the promised land. And then there they said, no. The spies came back with the message that we cannot. Hallelujah. We cannot take that land. So God turned them back into the wilderness. And their carcasses fell in the wilderness. What am I telling you? I'm telling you that there's a land promised for you. But all the process that leads you to the land is not the trophy. You must understand the cost. Let me show you a scripture. Luke chapter 14, verse 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. This is the cost of entering the promised land. In other words, you can hate your father. But if you don't hate your mother, wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, and your own life, in addition to hating your father, you will not enter the promised land. You can hate your mother and your father. But if you don't hate your wife, children, brethren, and sisters, and your own life, you will not enter the promised land. You can hate your father, mother, and wife. But if you don't add children, brethren, and sisters, and yea, your own life, you will not enter the promised land. Because remember, the promised land is to come to that version of yourself where God is able to dwell. You can hate your father, mother, wife, and children, and your brethren. But if you don't add your sisters and your own life to it, you will not enter the promised land. Please you understand that? And remember, this is not your literal father, your literal mother, your literal wife. No, these are the things that pertain to you. That is summed up in your life of Egypt. The pleasures of Egypt, the things that constitute your life. Hallelujah. So, and if you don't hate all this, you cannot be my disciple. So take note. The message is that where you are is not your destiny. Let us migrate from where you are to the promised land. But where you are, it will follow you to the promised land. So you must undergo a process that will remove all of Egypt from you. You cannot carry Egypt with you into the promised land. So you must undergo that process. And except Egypt is purged out of you, you cannot enter the promised land. So except your Egypt, your personal Egypt, that is with you now. You see, there is a promised land for you. There is your place in God. There is what you were made for. And it's a promise. It will remain a promise to you to eternity. 
that promise can never be withheld from you. Do you understand that? But now, in order to attain unto that promise, there is a process to it. And you must love the promise enough to want to undergo that process. You must appreciate what you are being called onto enough and value it enough in order to actually appreciate the process that takes you there. If you don't value what you are called onto, your destiny, if you don't value it and see the glory of it and see that this is it that you want, you will not appreciate the process because the process is not a walk in the park. The process is a tedious experience. It's a struggle against the things that pertain to you, the things that are with you and form your life. But the love for the promised land should make this process worth it because you cannot continue to stay in Egypt. Just like the prodigal son, where you are, this is not it. The only direction you move is towards your father. Please, you understand that? So then you appreciate then that because of this high calling, because of this thing that I can become, that I don't even fully appreciate because where I stand, I'm too blind to see it in totality. So I only have glimpses of it. Like John said, it does not yet appear what we shall be like. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. This thing that we have not yet entered, but we see it from afar off. That's what the Bible said in Hebrews 11. That they see it from afar off. The promised land from afar off. We have not entered. But what is afar off is enough for us to see that we must make our migration. We must begin our pilgrimage. And whatever will be endured in the process of the pilgrimage will be worth it. Because there is a place. There's a special place, not just for me, for you. There's a special place. It's not group. Don't think group. I want you to think about yourself. This you that is sitting there. In all the things that plague you, there is a place in God for you that you can literally stand. It is not an imagination. There is a place where you can literally stand. When you stand there, it will be like a dream. There is a version of you that is literally possible to happen. It is possible to capture that version of you. It is possible. It's not an idea that cannot be attained onto. It's a possibility. The only thing is that there is between you, the Red Sea, the wilderness, and the Jordan. That is all. And if you place value on this version of yourself, if you place value on it, then the struggle to arrive there will be worth it. Because the struggle is real. It is not a straightforward journey. Hallelujah. And in a lot of the struggle, it will be as though you are alone, even though God is with you. Because such a thinking is also necessary to possess what is in the promised land. Hallelujah. There's something that we have been called for. You, you, you have been called for. I said, what you can be in God, not when you finish here. When you finish here, you continue in it. But even here, what you can be in God is a shock. The levels of divine oppression that can happen in you and through you. We have that example with Jesus. Hallelujah. So when you look at that destiny, 
then you can see that it is worth it. So the destiny is shown you, then how do you obtain that destiny, right? Then you say, follow Moses through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, through the Jordan, and into the promised land. By the time you get into the promised land, Moses that went with you from Egypt through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, would have turned into Joshua before your eyes. And Joshua is Jesus. Did you understand that? And he's the one that now divides the land. And he says, that this is your portion. For me, one of the things that is like, I can't believe it, is that there is a place that I can come into. There's a state. It's like, hey, what will it be like? Hallelujah. What will a life from that place, from that divine place, from that divine participation, what would that life be for me? And I want you to think about it also for yourself, that what would that kind of life be? Because everybody knows what is wrong with them, and everybody knows what they are not capable of. And they are saying that there is a place where everything that you see as your limitation is no more there. And everything that makes you incapable is no more there. Hallelujah. And that is promised you. So it's not even that you fight and get there and then they've done you a proof. No. It's a promise. And that promise does not depend on you. Hallelujah. It depends on the Lord and what he overcame. So now he says, come. But this is how he wants you to come. You must hate your father. It's worth it. You must hate your mother. It's worth it. You must hate your wife. It's worth it. Your children, your brethren and sisters, and your own life. Then you become his disciple. Hallelujah. Now remember, the disciple is the one that is following him. So in following Moses through the wilderness, these are the things that the wilderness takes from us. Hallelujah. Let's go. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, now remember the tower goes into heaven, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counted the cost. So you are intending to leave Egypt for the promised land. And the message is that it will cost you. It will cost all of that version in Egypt to drop. All of it must drop. That's what baptism is. The old man must die and a new man must come up. It will cost you the old man. Everybody loves themselves. So this old man that you love, this old thinking you love, this old desires that you love, these are the things that going into the promised land will cost you. But it's worth it. What will be cut out from you and the pain of suffering the loss. Paul said, all the things that were gained to me, I count them as loss. So to count them as loss is not like, I don't even like them anymore. No, you like them. Then you count them as loss because of what? For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. See, excellency, right? It excels this life that you are giving up. There's a superior place. You as an individual can step there. See, this part that I'm repeating is necessary because that's what the Lord asked me to do. Because 
many of us are not convinced that there is a place for you to stand as a person. You are not convinced, you as a person, there is a place in God's promised land for you to stand. There's a unique place, there's a state where you and God can function together. And it is for you. It is pre-planned. It is promised you. Many of us don't believe that. And hence, our approach towards what God requires of us. So if God comes that you should let this go, he gives you something that is promised in return. So even though it is difficult to let go of Egypt, the prospect of the promised land is enough motivation to do this difficult thing. There's a promised land for you. Hallelujah. That land of your pilgrimage. For which of you intending to build a tower, sit not down first and counted the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it, whether you have enough to finish it, because that's important. Remember, it's not to leave Egypt and to fall into the Red Sea. The Bible said, those that left Egypt, not all of them entered the promised land. It said their carcasses fell in the wilderness. So it's not just to maybe do one thing and say, oh, I've obeyed God, and to stay there and say, this is it. It is to do all that is required to leave Egypt and to enter the promised land. So said, you count the cost. Because what you may be applying that you are thinking should be enough to bring you to the promised land, it may not be enough. Otherwise, you start and then you only do the foundation. Let's happily, after he had laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock at him. The enemy comes to do that to you. You understand? See, many people have buildings that is just the foundation. When they are even tied, they sell the land with foundation on it. So, the foundation is not the house. The foundation is not the tower. The foundation is still on this earth. Remember, the tower goes into heaven. The foundation is still here. You can't say, oh, foundation done. So let's take it like that. The aim is to stand before God in the promised land. Amen. That's the aim. Let's go. Or what king? So now a king also goes to war, which is to defeat the Egypt that is with you, right? So what king? Who is going to that's not consult to see whether he's able to do it with 10,000 or 20,000, still counting the cost. The point here is not that sit down and see if you have enough to enter the promised land. No, that's not the message. The message is on the fact that it will cost you this dream that you have, it will cost you. He said, or oh, if he's not able to, he sends an emissary and brings about peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. So this is the message. This thing about building a tower and then also going to war, the point is that it will cost you. And if you don't provide the sufficient cost, it will not land you what it is that you are looking for. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, that's the Red Sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, that's the manna, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, 
for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. So there was a rock that even followed them that some drank of. Do you understand that? And that rock was Christ, verse 5. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So they participated, but you have not arrived. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things were our examples to the intent we should not last after evil things as they also lasted. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand, twenty-three thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. So it's like elimination, right? In the wilderness, elimination, elimination, elimination. And that is the idea. Let's go. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Hallelujah. So there is a promised land that we've been called. But there is a requirement, and we must give ourselves to all the requirements. The beautiful thing about this requirement is that the Lord will help us. Hallelujah. From the beginning, which is the quickening of the Lord, to going through all that we need to go through to arrive, the Lord will help us. So if the Lord will help us, then we have no excuse, except we don't want the promised land. But I pray that you will have a revelation of what it is that you could actually be. That you would catch glimpses, ideas, even if not completely formed, because most ideas are completely formed when you finally enter into the reality of it. Even if not completely formed, enough for you to see that there is a place, that there is a version of yourself that the Lord is calling you to be. And in that place, there is communion. There is union with God. And God dwells in you and operates through you. Every one of us must be opened to this promised land. To the extent that we are ready to put in the shift. And this shift must define our lives. It is not that you are living your life and pursuing things and then at the back of your mind or in your pocket somewhere you are a Christian. This must engage all of you. Your life in this earth is what I've described for you. To leave Egypt and to enter the promised land. Every other thing is an accessory. If you don't turn becoming this vessel, this version of yourself that God is able to dwell in, if you don't turn it into your major pursuit and your only pursuit in this life, you will fail at it. In the wilderness, a lot of the murmuring was because of the mixed multitude that left Egypt with them. I pray that you will understand this. The promised land is worth 
everything. It is worth everything. That is you at your very best. It is worth everything. That is your eternal destiny. It is worth every price. It is worth every price that must be paid. It is worth all of Egypt in you. It is worth laying down your life. It is worth hating your life in Egypt. It is worth it. And you must go on that journey yourself. And you must find that you are on that journey yourself and think to yourself that this is what I'm doing. I've seen a version of myself in God. God has opened my eyes. I have sensed that there is a higher calling. And it is a promise. So it is real. It is there waiting for me. I have not touched it, but that is what I'm going for. And anything that stands in my way is a sign that that thing must be surrounded. That thing must be put down. That thing must die. Anything that stands in my way, that thing must die. So what will it take for you to stand before God? In Revelation chapter 7, the Bible says there was a multitude of people. And the angel asked, who are these people? And John said, you know. That these are those that have come out of great tribulation. That tribulation is affliction. They have come out. So these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It's not like there's a great tribulation. No, no, no. Please don't misunderstand scripture. Wilderness. These are they that have come out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The next verse. Therefore, are they before the throne of God? This is what we go to capture. Would you want to stand before the throne of God? You, me, that I'm before the throne of God. What in this life can be compared to it? Except that I'm convinced to believe in the fallacies of this life, that there is something here that is worth something. What can be compared with a mere man standing before the throne of God? And it's not just to stand and face God, but to stand and look in the direction God is looking. So God's throne is behind you and you stand before his throne and you look in his direction as one who is going to be sent from that throne. What is worth that? A mere man. Look at all the things that are wrong with me. And that my destiny is that I can stand before the throne of God. And it's a promise. That's my destiny. Look at all the things in you. You yourself try to believe a small thing. And you see how you can't even believe it. And the weaknesses that you are plagued with. And the things you cannot bear, the fears. The fears that plague you. The heartaches. The evils. All these things. And amidst all of this, you have been called to stand before God. So they came out of great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. 
So they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. Look, we are all dying. And we'll die soon. I think that just that alone should tell us that we should look for something better to do with our lives. And this is it. We must spend our life fighting to stand before the throne of God, that eternally we may serve him day and night. Pharaoh says, oh, there's no promised land. There is, there is, there is. Pharaoh says, oh, you can't go there. No, just start by crossing the Red Sea. Let's start from there. And let's start migrating into the wilderness. And he that seated on the throne shall do what? Dwell among them. Dwell in their midst. Not in their midst, like he said, we are around you. In you and move through you. He shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more. What is hunger? To seek good and not be able to do it. They shall what? neither test anymore to seek truth. That will bring the good and not to have it. Neither shall the sun light on them. That is the evils in Egypt. Or any heat will be brought out of that. For the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears. The tears are because of the struggles we go through to abandon Egypt. This is your struggle to let go of the world. That you must pass this wilderness. The tears of the wilderness will be wiped from your eyes. It's like how when the mother is in labor and she's crying and is in weeping, the entrance of the baby, the baby coming into the life of the mother is enough to make her forget all the struggles that led to the bringing forth of the child. That's the idea. They shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Hallelujah. What do you want to do? What destiny do you have in Egypt? except to die there. But there is a higher calling. But it will cost you. It will not cost you any important thing. It will just cost you Egypt. And you must understand and agree that it is worth the cost. That because it's a feast of fat things. Jesus gave us a glimpse. He showed us. He said how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. That he went about doing good. Jesus was a one-man promised land walking this earth. That he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. What was the catch? Because God was with him. What will it take for God to be with you? It is worth everything. That is your destiny. But it is not an automatic destiny. But you must want the destiny enough to push through. At times, you are not even sure if you are making progress. It's like moving in the wilderness. Have you moved in the desert before? No. But you've seen a desert before, right? 
There is nothing that shows north, east, west, or south. If they dump you somewhere in the desert and you are going there, you can go out. And that's how at times the spiritual journey can be, right? You think you are making progress. You are not making progress. It's a struggle. You are leaving something behind. You think you are done, but you are not done. You think God is about to visit you. He doesn't visit you. You think you understand something. You don't understand. You think you have overcome something. You have not overcome it. You fight. You are fighting. You are letting go. You are letting go. The more is coming that you need to let go. Then you discover that you didn't even let it go like you should. You should not stop and say that this is it. I want to go back to Egypt. No, you continue. You continue pushing. You don't pitch your tent in the wilderness. You lose your life there. And that's what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10. They partook, 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 but still, they were falling away. Why? Because the point is to arrive in the promised land. Like, yeah, maybe you've heard the word of God, you've heard the word of God. That's to be baptized in the cloud. You've heard the word of God. But that is not promised land. You have now crossed the difficulty of being willing to come and hear the word of God. Being willing. Now you find that you are very willing to come and hear the word of God. That's not promised land. It's good. You have taken steps. You are moving. But if you stop there, you will perish. You are even beginning to see how you apply the word of God in your life. But that's not promised land. You didn't like church. Now you like church. That's not promised land. You are not listening to the messages, but now the message is all the time playing. Every morning you try to play the message. That's not promised land. It's good, but it's not promised land. You didn't used to pray, but now you really find time every day to pray. That's not promised land. It's still wilderness. You are going. It's still wilderness. Before you are not interested in God's work, but now you are doing God's work. But that's not promised land. It's something, but we are not there. So we keep going. But if you say, oh, I was not this, but now I'm doing this and that, it's okay. You are your first step after the Red Sea. Is that promised land? No. And if you stop there, your carcass will fall in the wilderness. So if we are living in Egypt, we must also live with the consciousness that is the promised land we are going to. And I suppose the point in living in Egypt is the promised land we are going to. That land that is reserved for you. Can you imagine it? That you. You see how Gabriel comes and then gives Mary the message, right? That you are going to conceive. You could be that Gabriel that comes to somebody. Like what will we be? Say, so John just cleared it. It does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. What does it even mean? All the things we can conceive as to the wildness of being like him, it will beat it. It will far exceed it. But even the little dreams we can have about it and the little imaginations we can have about it it's enough to give us goosebumps. Then what about the thing itself? You see, one of the imaginations that you must have is when eventually you have to look at Joshua and Caleb in particular because they were old enough when they left Egypt, right? 
So they know Egypt well. The rest with them that entered the promised land, they, they were young. You get it. But you let's even add them. But many of them were young. Eventually, after 40 years, now they grew and then entered. But imagine that you left Egypt. You get into the wilderness. And then finally, you cross the Jordan. And your feet touch the promised land. That's what the psalmist said. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. This land that was promised in your generation, you have entered the land. And it's flowing with milk and honey. The excitement will give you a headache. I've been so excited that you have a headache before. Now, that headache, when you are married, you have it. The marriage day, you are so excited by the time evening comes, you have a headache. So they stand in the promised land. And I'm saying that you also, your feet, can stand in your promised land. It doesn't matter who else around you is not going. It doesn't matter who else around you is saying that they, they, they will go hard on this. I want you to decide that you will go hard on this because your promised land, it was promised to you. And God is waiting for you there. And that's what the prodigal son found. That as he was going, when he was afar off, his father saw him and ran to him. Hallelujah. You are not an ordinary man. You are not an ordinary woman. You look like that because you are in Egypt. And me, anybody in Egypt is an ordinary person to me. It does not matter your station in this life. So one of the things that you may find is that I don't respect people. You understand that? Yeah, you find it. If you do, you see that your guy that you respect, I don't really understand what it is. Please understand that I don't respect people. Do you get it? Uh-huh. It was not like I don't respect people. But like your station in this Egypt is not anything. In Egypt, we are ordinary men subjected to Pharaoh. But I respect that version of you in the promised land. Because that version of you, it is God made. And God comes out of that version. You are an ordinary man, ordinary woman, because you are in Egypt. You yourself, you even feel ordinary. If you think you are something, life will make you feel ordinary. Right? Life can happen around you one, two, three times and then. If even something good can happen, you start to misunderstand and think you are something. And the same life now will come and crush you. And then you do it. You realize that you are not anything. So we feel ordinary. You are not anything. So you try to, you are what? You have money now. You are an architect. You are still an ordinary person. You need us to be convinced that you are something. That's the thing about status in the world. The status in the world, you wouldn't care about it if men were not around. Like your status, that makes you so... Distant. If all of us disappeared and was left with only you, you wouldn't even care about that, your status. What you think, I have a nice house. Your house is as nice as we all come and say, hey, wow, nice house, nice house. You have a nice car. 
your nice car is as nice as we all come and confirm that because of this, your car, you are superior to us. But what if we are not there to confirm? And like me, I'll give you that grace. I'll not be there to confirm. What do you think? So imagine, but there is a better status that you know within yourself you are. And that one is found in the law. You don't need any man to support it, to agree with it, to elevate you. No. And the beautiful thing is that it is there. Peter said it is reserved for us. Have you seen that scripture? You know what reserved is? It's reserved for you. They say, hey, don't occupy there. Someone is coming from Egypt and this is where he will occupy. Nobody should touch this thing. Nobody should do this work. Somebody is coming from Egypt and he is coming to do this work. She is coming to do that work. Don't touch it. It's reserved. But he has begotten us onto a lively hope. So actually that is also another begetting. You see, that's what people don't understand. The gospel. Oh, we are born again, born again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy had begotten us again unto a lively hope. Wow. By the resurrection of Jesus. So <laughs> what you have now, what you have been born unto, is a hope. That's not the fulfillment. And this hope you are born unto because of what Jesus did in his overcoming. And that's why it is promised to Abraham, Isaac, and who? Jacob. That he had begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4. To an inheritance incorruptible. Do you understand that? You won't fight and leave everything. Peter said, we have left everything. We have come to follow you. And Jesus will say, oh, bye, it's okay, follow me. No, he said, no one. See, it's a principle that is there. If you arrive there and inheritance is not there, God is not God. When you get there, make yourself God, because there will be no one occupying the seat. Said, so we have left everything, we have followed you. Jesus said, no man who has left mother, father, it's not possible that a man will do these things and come and follow me and will not have it. Oh, get to that place. It's not possible. Hallelujah. You will have a better version of it. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. You see, this is a statement you can't say when you are at the brink of the promised land, right? So we have left all and have followed thee. Then Jesus also replied, remember, Jesus is replying in the spirit. So it's not about Peter stopping his fisherman duties. No. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man. So you could just quickly present your evidence. No, no, there's one man here. Right? Jesus said, there's no man. And this thing that Jesus is saying is an eternal statement. So you can go back, 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 and you can go forward, forward, forward. There will not be anybody like that. There's no man that had left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold. Now, in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution. That's wilderness. So you receive it through persecution. And in the world to come, what? Eternal life. 
Amen. Now go back to Peter. He has begotten us unto a life to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that faded not away, reserved in heaven for you. Please, in heaven, understand heaven. In heaven, reserved for you. So it is worth every cost. And that is why we want to make our vows before God. That we are going to fight to stand on that mountain. To stand on the mountain with him. To stand in the place of our destiny. What else should we do? And to pay every cost. To pay the price. To come out of great tribulation. Having washed our garments, our robes in his blood. That we may stand before his throne and serve him day and night. That he may feed us because we will not hunger and thirst anymore. That he may wipe away our tears. Blessed are they who are invited. This is an invitation God is showing to you. Blessed are they who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You are blessed to even hear this invitation that come. Not to even participate yet, but to be called out of Egypt. He calls us out of darkness. There's something called marvelous light that you have been called into. So you are going to enter marvelous light. What is that? No light, marvelous light. And he said unto me, right. Right? They will discuss right. So you know that you are saying something. Say right. Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Those who are invited to come. And he said unto me, these are the true sayings of God. Blessed are those who hear the doctrine that invites them into that supper that place of participation in the divine nature. Say they are blessed. Those people should consider themselves blessed. And they should pay every price that will bring them to that place. May the Lord help us. Amen.